our Father has blessed us uh, to have such awesome pastors and fathers of our pastors. And so I want to announce to you that uh, Saturday, November 17th, from 10 to 3 a.m., we will be having a couple's marriage seminar. Our very own pastors, Benjamin and Sonny Robinson, will be teaching, as well as Pastor Robert and Diane Daniels. I want to take your attention to that, those four words that are in capital, F-R-E-E. It is free. It is free. So all of you that are married, it's for you. It's for you. We want to pour into the marriages. Uh, many of you serve tirelessly. Many of you give. And so we want to be able to refresh and rekindle the love that you have for one another. Amen. Oh, only my wife believes it. Amen. <laughs> you know, I, let me just say that, you know, our, our society kind of looks down on marriage. And I say part of the reason is it's, it's our fault. You know, we have to model to them what truly marriage is supposed to be. How many times when you hear people talk about marriage, what? It's the old ball and chain, huh? the old battle axe. Who would want to be a part of that? But if we demonstrate what it really means to be married and in love and have a love for our father that flows into our relationships, come on, that would testify to the nation. So I wanted to plug that. You'll be seeing more and hearing more about that. Uh, we'll have some flyers for you soon to take. Uh, it is not just strictly for our church. So if you know a married couple that you think it would be blessing to, be, be willing to share that as well. Amen. Let us go to the Father in prayer. God, we thank you so much for your presence, Lord. God, you are truly here and amongst us. We thank you, God, that you are lifting our heads. You are lifting our eyes. Lord, so many of us have had our heads hung low. So many of us have thought thoughts of weakness and insecurity, Father. But we thank you, Lord, that you are lifting our heads. And you are giving us new faith, God. You're giving us new love for you and for one another. And so, God, I pray that your word would just sink deep into our hearts this morning, that we would open our hands, that we would open our hearts, that we would open our minds and receive your word today. We pray it in Jesus name. Amen. 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 And um, they taking it down. Great. I think that's a great segue, though. Um, the marriage conference and the symbol of rekindling love within a marriage. I really, truly believe that our father today wants to rekindle that love amongst us as believers. You know, the word love. Like Isaiah, when I tell you I love you. Come on. How does that make you feel? See, he had a big smile. I bet you all warm and fuzzy you started feeling on the inside. I know, look, he, the dimples are starting to poke out. Come on, when you tell someone you love them, immediately their heart begins to open towards you, right? How does it feel when a friend says that to you? You know, love is what we're all searching for. We're searching for it in, our, in every relationship, in our marriages, in our friendships, in our families. We all want what, what are they called? BFFs. Best friends forever. That's my daughter's favorite word, by the way. BFFs. We all want someone that loves us unconditionally. But a question is, since love is what we all want, why is it so few of us actually experience it? You know, I think one of the reasons is we call it love, but actually what we're looking for is for someone to make us happy. 
If we would really be real, that's what we're looking for. If you like what I like, if you do what I do, if you say what I say, right? If you act the way I want you to act, then you make me happy, and I call that love. Once you stop doing that, of course, I no longer love you. The phone calls stop coming. Come on. The invitations stop coming. This is why divorce is so rampant in our society. Why? Because that person is not doing for me what I want them to do. You know that the rate, the divorce rate is the same in the church as it is in the world? Come on, that should not be. Love is the most overused and misused word in the English language. You know, in actuality, we can't really fully understand love outside of receiving the revelation of God's love. And so I believe today, even in our service, our father was revealing his love for us. He's revealing his deep, deep love for us. And, you know, let me also just say that this is not a word of condemnation, but this is a word of uh, correction. And I believe it's for me and for all of us here. I'm not on a soapbox preaching something that God is not dealing with me in my own heart about. You know, Paul said in Philippians 3 that uh, he hadn't reached the point of perfection. He was still reaching. He's still reaching. And so I believe that there is a greater manifestation of love that God wants us to manifest, but we all got to reach for it. You know, if you would turn to 1 John, I want to turn your attention to chapter number 4. 1 John chapter 4. And we'll start at verse number 10. 1 John 4 and 10 says, This is love, not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Dear friends, since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, God lives in us and his love is made complete in us. You know, I want to just share a little bit of my testimony. Uh, Some of you may not know a lot about me. You just see me play the drums and get up here occasionally. But um, my mother was a single mother. She raised me pretty much by herself. My biological father uh, was in the military. So she had me when she was 17 years old. She, in her heart, I'm sure, assumed that he loved her, assumed that they would be married, they would have a family, you know, the whole dream that we all wake up with, right, that we're all born with. Well, that wasn't the reality. He ended up moving far away. And so my mother raised me by herself. And so I never really grew up knowing what it means for a father to love a son or for a husband to love a wife. I know that's shocking because you look at me and I'm so full of love, right? (laughs) But I say that to the glory of God. You know, I actually don't really know how to love you, even though I'm a nice person. I actually really don't even know how to love my wife, even though she's beautiful, isn't she? But we learn how to love as God reveals his love to us. It says, this is love, not that we love God. So we didn't start it. He loved us first. But he loved us 
and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. You know, once we really realize that, it will transform your life. It transformed mine. Once God came into my heart, I found that I could actually love people who didn't do the things that I wanted them to do. I could actually love my father who rejected me. You know, when I was in my 20s, the Lord put it on my wife's heart to reconnect with him. Thank God for women. Because they make us do stuff that we won't do on our own. She looked him up, found him, got his contact information, and put it right in front of me. There's nothing else I can do but contact him then. So, you know, I didn't realize that I still had a degree of unforgiveness for him in my heart. Because to me, it was out of sight, out of mind. I don't see him. And because I didn't verbally talk bad about him all the time, I thought, hey, I'm showing him love. But it wasn't until I actually had to pick up the phone and dial that number and wait for his voice to come in on the other side of the receiver. And while I'm waiting, all those old feelings start coming up. Come on. Some of you have been through it. And I realized, oh, my gosh, I haven't totally dealt with this. I can't truly say that I love him. And so when he got on the phone, voice cracking and everything, I had to tell him, you know what? I forgive you. I know in your mind, in your heart, you wanted to be there for me, but you couldn't. And so I forgive you. And he couldn't even say anything. Just silence, you know, on the other, on the other end of the phone. But I knew that it wasn't only for me. It was for him. God wanted me to call him and let him know that I loved him. And it wasn't because of what I could do. I had to tell him my testimony. I said, God came into my life. He saved me. And it's because of him that I'm calling you right now. Because before then, I never even had the idea to contact you. And it was powerful what God did. I could see he was able to begin to forgive himself. And so I share that with you because I believe that what God wants us to do goes beyond our own ability and strength. He wants us to love one another like he loved us. It says in 11, dear friends, since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. We ought to do it. You know, sometimes we forget just how great God's love is that he poured out on us. None of us deserve it. None of us deserve it. But we kind of love one another on condition. God doesn't love us on condition. His love is unconditional. You know, verse 12 says, no one has ever seen God. Has anybody in here seen God? Raise your hand real quick. I want to know what he looks like. Honestly, nobody in here has seen him. But if we love one another, God lives in us. And his love is made complete in us. You know, the kind of love that the father poured out on us is called agape love. You know, that refers to the covenant love that God has for humans. And then as we reciprocate that love back to God. But it's necessary that we also extend that love to one another. If we miss any one of those steps, our love is incomplete. Our love is incomplete. And his desire is what? That our love will be made complete. 
If our love for God stops at an individual relationship with him, then we've missed it. We've missed it. How many of us have even, I love what uh, David shared. It was so powerful in his message. He said, for so long, it was just me and God. Just me and God. As long as me and God are okay, it doesn't really matter how my relationship is with the other brothers and sisters. But God checked his heart and said, my relationship with you is not just about me and you, but it's about your relationship with your brothers. In other words, if I'm not in a relationship of support, and accountability with my brothers and sisters in Christ, my love relationship with God is incomplete. Can I just be real with you guys this morning? Because you are like real quiet. You know why most of us don't even pursue deep relationships with one another? It's because it's easier to say it's just me and God. It's easier. No one is holding me accountable to that. How many times have you Went on a diet, but didn't tell anybody else about it. Come on, everybody's hand should be up. Why? You didn't want to tell anybody because they were going to hold you accountable. When you picked up that donut, they were going to say, hey, is that in your diet plan? Come on now. God is breaking us out of this individualism where we think it's just me and God. And it doesn't matter how my relationship is with my brother. And with my sister. Amen. Amen. Say amen. So I know you believe me. You know, I want to tell you a little story. My wife, she looks good. Doesn't she? Did I say that already? Part of the reason she looks so good physically is because she is a part of an accountability online fitness program. In that program, you have to log in everything that you eat, everything that you eat. And not only that, she has other members. So they get to see everything that she eats. How many want to join that now? (laughs) But you know what? Part of the reason why she lost so much weight is because of that accountability. See, that's the side of love we don't like to look at. Accountability. Just support me. Just tell me what I want you to say. Tell me that everything is going to be good. Just give me money if I need it. Just give me food. If I need it, but don't tell me that maybe I might want to watch what I'm spending. I don't want that kind of accountability. And so I believe that God has instituted that and he wants us to get it. Come on. How many want everything that God has for you? Come on, let's get it. Let me say this. You cannot be the man or woman of God that both you and God want you to be without your brothers and sisters in Christ holding you accountable. I can say it again. He told me you cannot be the man or woman of God that both you. So this is not something that you don't want. You want it. You and God want you to be without your brothers and sisters in Christ holding you accountable. Now, let's break down love a little bit. Love can be broken down between devotion and honor. Let's go to Romans 12. Romans 12, Romans 12 and 10. Actually, it says be devoted to one another In love, honor one another above yourselves. You know, let me tell you a little story. I think actually a couple of you were here. Uh, I believe the Carringtons were actually here at my wife and I's wedding. Was that not a beautiful ceremony? 
Amen. He said, at the lake. That's right. He was there. I mean, beautiful ceremony. We were in this beautiful Methodist church right next to the lake. I mean, my wife was part of this awesome choir, Oakland Interfaith Gospel Choir. Anybody ever heard of them? They sing beautifully. They sang Ave Maria at our wedding. I was crying. I ain't going to lie. I was crying the whole time. When she was coming down the aisle, I started crying and I didn't stop. It was a beautiful ceremony. You know, I actually thought that um, I knew what it meant to, to honor. In my eyes, to honor meant that I'll never talk derogatory about her. I'll never call her a bad name. I thought I knew what devotion was. I said, well, I'm devoted to her, so that means I'm not going to sleep with nobody else but her. And to me, that was devotion. But my love for her at that point, I've come to discover, was incomplete. It wasn't complete. Devotion means profound dedication. Profound dedication. You know, when we dedicate babies up here, isn't it beautiful? Like the baby had a pretty dress on. And then, you know, the, the, the parents are there. You know, they look good because what? This is our baby's dedication. And then the aunts and the uncles and the godparents are all over here. And we just all smile because it looks so beautiful, doesn't it? But you know what we discover is that we're actually not so much just speaking a religious thing over those children. What we're actually doing is we're dedicating those parents. We're dedicating those parents to raise that child up, what? In the fear and admonition of God. But a lot of times we think, oh, we just, we, we devoted the, the baby to God. And so since we said the prayer, the baby is just going to be magically de- devoted to God all their life. How many know it doesn't happen that way? The parents have to be devoted to raise that child up. Amen. Acts 2.42. I know most of you don't even like to go to this part of the Bible. Acts 2.42. It says they devoted themselves to the apostles teaching. And to fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. Four things. And I believe that each one is equally important. We cannot have true fellowship without first devoting ourselves to the apostles' teaching. So that means we can't just hear it Sunday. We got to listen to it again. We got to take notes, right? We got to post it on Facebook. Come on, how many have been doing that? (laughs) And from there, it flows to the fellowship. And that fellowship is not just communion, but it's when we begin to get together and share our hearts with one another. And so everything flows from there. And so that is what it means to be devoted to one another. And I believe that's what God wants us to have. You know, I had always thought that honor meant to give someone special recognition or like the best seat in the house. But in studying the word honor, I found out it actually means to value. So in 1 Corinthians 7 and 23, you know where it says you were bought at a price? The word translated price is the same Greek word translated honor. And its root word is usually translated precious or greater worth or dear. So to honor one another is to treat each person as valuable, costly, and precious. What's precious to you? What's dear to you? What's costly to you? You know, I heard a story about a guy. He said 
He was normally a very reserved, conservative kind of individual, always concerned about how other people looked at him or what other people thought about him. Guess what happened? His favorite precious little puppy dog shot out one morning and was running down the street. And it was about to cross the street, and it was a busy intersection. You know what he did? He dropped his newspaper in his footsies, in his pajamas, in his unshoveled, messed-up hair. He took off after that dog. He didn't care what nobody thought. He didn't care who was looking at him. Why? Because that puppy was precious to him. How many of us will we do that for one another, though? Sometimes we value a thing or an animal more than one another. It's a hard word, huh? But I believe God is coming to give us the grace to do it. He's coming to give us the grace to do it. You know, my wife is an extremely prophetic woman. Sometimes it actually gets on my nerve because she's always getting visions and dreams. Always. And, you know, when we were pregnant with our second beautiful daughter, Alana, here, doesn't she look pretty today? When we were pregnant with her, we were hoping and praying it was a boy. Because Rumi, our first beautiful daughter, was a girl. So that would complete it, right? Boy and a girl. One, two. Quick shot. Just like that, huh? That's what I was hoping for. That's what we were hoping for. Not only that, my daughter, I mean, my wife is the oldest of four girls. So they don't have any males to continue the father's family name. So that was another reason why we were really praying and contending that this second child will be a boy. And so when we were in the doctor's office and, you know, they're pulling up the ultrasound, in my mind, I knew it. It's a boy. I don't even really need to look at the screen. I already know it's a boy. And when the technician said, ah, she's a girl. I got to be honest, my heart kind of sunk a little bit. Even though I was happy that we were blessed to have another child. I really wanted a boy. I really wanted a boy. How many men can identify that? Come on. You want a boy. Carry the man's name. And so my wife had another prophetic dream. And in this dream, she was in the hospital about to give labor. And so as they were attempting to do it, I believe it was similar to her actual birth where they had a cesarean. They knocked her out. But before then, she kept asking, what's the sex of the baby? Is it a boy or is it a girl? I'm actually, I'm sorry, I'm getting confused. She was asking after they brought her out. She was asking, is it, what is it? Is it a boy? Is it a girl? I want to know the sex of the baby. And the doctor said, don't worry about that. Matter of fact, I actually, we pulled these two precious stones out of your womb. They're precious. So take special care of them. And she told me immediately in her natural mind, she was thinking, wow, the Lord has blessed us. We're going to be rich. (laughs) These are precious stones. Brown diamonds. Our father loves us. But then the Holy Spirit quickened her. And she realized that actually these represented the children. That our father was going to bless us with, that he was entrusting us with. And they were precious. And they take special care. And if any of you have seen us running through these aisles after them, you recognize they require special care. 
If you've seen my daughter's tantrums at 9 o'clock at night on Thursday, Thursday Thunder, you recognize they require special care because they are precious. And so through this experience, I believe that God has taught us a deeper level of love. We have to care for one another like we're precious. Now, let's talk about some things that hinder us from loving one another. If you're taking notes, it's four things. Self-sufficiency. Past experiences of hurt. Selfishness. And feeling overwhelmed with our own situations. Let's look at the first one. The deception of self-sufficiency. In Proverbs 16.25, it says, There is a way that seems right to a man, but in the end it leads to death. How many ever did something that you just knew was right? But then in the end you think, like, man, why didn't anybody say something to me? Didn't anybody else see this coming? But you know, at the moment, probably anyone couldn't even get through to you. Why? Because you felt self-sufficient. I'm grown. I know how to make my own decisions. What? Right? I don't need to tell the pastor. I don't need to tell my brother and sister about the decisions that I'm making in my own life. Right? Because it only affects me. Isn't that right? These are all the lies of self-sufficiency. We have created a fatal habit for ourselves by taking full responsibility for our actions. When we believe the lie of self-sufficiency... We actually aren't even in submission to God. Can I tell you that? We aren't. We say, oh, Lord, I surrender all to you. But I'm going to make this decision right here. Come on. We've all done it, myself included. You know, when we're in this state, it's like that that, uh, bumper sticker, God is my co-pilot. But really, in those moments, we need to slide over and let him drive. Come on. And let our brothers and sisters speak into our lives. Amen. And I got to work for amens on this message. I should have preached something else. I'm sorry. You know, when we believe the lie of self-sufficiency, we actually assume more responsibility than we should. And then as a result, we're kind of left to our own resources. And we know it's inevitable that we're going to fall into a hole, right? Let me tell you the truth. The truth is, we are God's responsibility. We are God's responsibility. Philippians 4.19 says, And my God will meet all your needs according to the riches of his glory in Christ Jesus. We're his responsibility. You don't have to pull yourself up by your own bootstraps. Let me deliver somebody right now. I know that your daddy told you that all your life. You got to pull yourself up by your own bootstraps. It's all on you. If you don't do it, nobody else will. That's deception. We are God's responsibility. You know, God can provide even supernaturally for your, for your needs. You don't believe me, huh? Yes, sir. All right, let's go to the word. Exodus 16. Exodus 16. I actually have proof of it. Starting at verse 1, it says, The whole Israelite community set out from Elam and came to the desert of Sin, which is between Elam and Sinai. On the 15th day of the second month after they had come out of Egypt. In the desert, the whole community grumbled against Moses and Aaron. The Israelites 
said to them, if only we had died by the Lord's hand in Egypt. There we sat around pots of meat and ate all the food we wanted. But you have brought us out into this desert to starve this entire assembly to death. Then the Lord said to Moses, I will rain down bread from heaven for you. The people are to go out each day and gather enough for that day. In this way, I will test them and see whether they will follow my instructions. If you read further along, God actually did what he promised. Amen. He fed them manna from heaven and quail. They're talking about pots of meat when someone had to beat them all day. And God was giving him supernatural food from heaven. That's how much he takes responsibility for you. Come on, how many had a dad that would work like 60 hours a week to make sure you had food on the table, clothes on your back? That's the kind of father we serve. He will go to supernatural means to meet our needs. You know, another truth is that we are our brother's keeper. If we go back to that... um, Acts 2, in verse 44, it says, all the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give anyone who had need. So another way that God provides for our needs is actually through the church. It's through one another. How many ever shared something that you needed that you were going through and one of your brothers actually met the need? I know it sounds crazy, huh? But it actually happens. It actually happens in the body of Christ. When we share our needs with one another, we rise up and meet our needs. And it's the same as if God would have rained down manna from heaven. It's all of it is spiritual. You know, another way we can meet our needs is like I was saying, when we make our decisions. Sometimes if I would have talked to someone, they would have saved me a world of trouble. In Proverbs 15, 22, it says plans fail for lack of counsel. But with many advisors, they they succeed. You know, if we won't take time to share our hearts with one another. Or if we're so confident in our own judgment and we won't consult with one another. Let me say this. Then it is not likely we'll accomplish anything of significance. And I'm just going to let that sit. Circumstances defeat us, which with a little consultation might have been foreseen or avoided. And when that happens, we actually can't go back to our brothers and sisters and say, why didn't you stop me? Why? Because I didn't share with you, Kenneth, what was in my mind, what was in my heart. I just did it. Why? Because I'm grown. I can do that. Can I say that we are not our own? We're bought with a price. Y'all remember that, right? Yes, sir. All right, let's keep going. Second thing, past experiences of hurt. You know, um, I really truly believe this. I'm not just saying that. I really truly believe that God is healing us holistically. A lot of us have bad childhoods like me. A lot of us don't know how to trust. Amen? Can I say that? We're being real, right? Actually, a lot of us have more faith that someone is going to hurt us than that God is actually going to make us one. And I believe that God is reversing that in this season. He's healing us holistically. He's going back 
to our childhood where so many of us were hurt and somebody did us wrong. That was in the church. That was a deacon that shouldn't have said that they betrayed my trust. Come on. And that happened. That's real. I'm not believe. I'm not belittling that. But God wants to heal us of those things. In James five. And verse 16, it says, therefore, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. Powerful and effective. How many read that post by Pastor B a couple days ago? Talking about this, huh? You know, as we share with one another, there is actual powerful things that take place first in the spirit realm, and then we begin to see it in the natural. But it goes in that order. It goes in that order. A lot of times we want to see things change in the natural realm without sharing. And then we want to believe that things take place in the spirit. We have to be willing to be transparent with one another and share what we're going through. And then as we change things prophetically in the spirit, we begin to see it in the natural. You know, we actually experienced this uh, Thursday night in the men's in the men's section. We had a couple of brothers that were willing to share what they were going through. And I can tell it was hard for them. Come on, man, we got pride. Let's just be real. We don't want to tell nobody we're struggling. But they got up there and they shared out of their hearts. And you know what happened? Nobody judged them. Nobody looked at them funny. Nobody said, oh, you can't serve ministry anymore. But you know what happened? Everybody got around them and began to pray for him. And begin to prophesy over them. And you can see the whole atmosphere, not just for them, but even for us, began to change. Prayer is powerful. The enemy wants to shut our mouths. I believe David shared that with us. That was the word that he gave us, that the enemy wants to shut our mouths. And when we don't share with one another, we actually rob ourselves and our brothers of the blessing that God wants to give us through one another. You know, we have experienced some powerful healing in our services. Amen. Has God been breaking out miraculously or what? I mean, this is not common stuff. People are getting healed, verifiable, not just like, oh, I kind of feel bad today. I feel better now. People are getting healed. In our lay communities, people are beginning to finally come together and begin to accept one another and share with one another and, and share life with one another. What your, your, your kid goes to my same school. I'll come by and pick up your kid and take him on the way. That's outside of these four walls. You know what I mean? God is doing it by his spirit. And that's what he wants. The enemy wants us to believe that we're self-sufficient and that our past hurts can separate us. The third thing is selfishness. This is where the humor comes in. How many remember this scripture? James 2 and 15. Suppose a brother or a sister is without clothes and daily food. If one of you says to them, go in peace, keep warm and well fed, but does nothing about their physical needs, what good is it? You know, PB loves that one. He shares that scripture all the time. Be warmed and filled. But you know what I thought about? A lot of times we judge the person that said be warmed and filled 
But sometimes we have to be honest. A lot of us are unwilling to even go to that person and share what we need. A lot of times we're unwilling to be vulnerable and say, hey, bro, I need a ride. I want to come to church. I just don't have the gas. Come on. I want to be a part of what's going on, but I don't even have food in my refrigerator. So it's hard for me to even think about coming to church right now. See, we don't want that kind of realness. We we just want to see you look nice in church. Oh, God bless you. All right. See you next Sunday. We don't want that kind of fellowship, but that's what God is after. He wants us to love one another like that. You know, in verse, uh, the fourth thing we talked about is being overwhelmed with our own situations. And I think this is the most common one. In Mark 4, verse 14, it says, the farmer sows the word. Some people are like seed along the path where the, wind, where the word is sown. As soon as they hear it, Satan comes and takes away the word that was sown in them. Others like seeds sown on rocky places hear the word and at once receive it with joy. But since they have no root, they last only a short time. When trouble or persecution comes because of the word, they quickly fall away. Still others like seeds sown among thorns hear the word, but the worries of this life, the deceitfulness of wealth and the desires of for other things come in and choke the word, making it unfruitful. You know, I want to focus in on that phrase, the worries of this life. Many of us can't see others because we're too busy looking at ourselves. And believe me, God is checking me about this. It's hard for me to get up here and preach to you when I'm worried about where I'm going to live. It's hard for me to tell you God is a provider when I don't know if I'm going to have enough money. Right? I would feel like a hypocrite getting up here telling you, yeah, brother, God is going to provide. But in the back of my mind, I'm like, man, am I even going to make it home? And I believe our father is taking us, like I said, healing us holistically, even to the point to where our reflex response is to cast our cares on him. Just cast it. Throw it. Throw it. He says, cast. You know, a lot of times we come to church and, you know, we're real quiet. And, and then the Lord is pouring out his spirit. And he, he shares with one of the leaders, I, I want to bless the people. Tell them to come down to the altar. And so we say, if someone is struggling with this, why don't you come down to the altar? And we say, you know what? That's me, but I'm just going to get mine from here. That's not casting. That's not casting. Can I say that? That's not casting. But when you come down here in faith, God, I don't know how you're going to do this, but I'm going to throw it to you. And I'm going to trust that whoever you have entrusted in this pulpit to pray over me, you're going to use that word and you're going to perform it. That's casting. That's what our father wants us to do. Other part, other, other phrase I like is talking about the desires of this life. You know, sometimes we can be so busy building our own life, building our own houses that we neglect the house of God and we neglect one another. And it's easy. Why? Because it actually starts from a good place, right? I want to provide for my kids. So I need a six bedroom house. I need it. 
right? That's coming from a good place. But now I work 60 hours a week and I never come to church. Or when my brother says, hey, hey, bro, I'm moving. Can you help me lift some stuff? Can't do it, bro. I got to work. I'm taking care of my family. Right? That's a good thing. But I'm so concerned about providing for my own needs that I can't even see yours. I can't even see it. It don't even dawn on me that I've missed you, that I've missed the opportunity for fellowship. I've missed the opportunity for deeper love. It doesn't even dawn on me. Why? Because I'm so busy meeting my own needs. It actually, the last part, it says it makes us unfruitful. We're not fruitful. You know, love is fruitful. I have three children right now because of love. I'm fruitful. Love makes us fruitful. But when we allow ourselves to be overwhelmed, we can't, we can't be fruitful. Let me say this in closing. You know, we may be getting by just fine the way we are. But we must remember that just because you might not feel conviction of the Lord right now, that doesn't necessarily mean that he's happy with your actions or your independent way of living. You know, sometimes people say, well, the Lord ain't said nothing to me about that. It could be that he is speaking. It might just be that you're not listening. So don't allow that to let yourself off the hook. In Matthew 22, this is the last scripture I want to go to. Very familiar. Starting at verse 34, it says, Hearing that Jesus had silenced the Sadducees, the Pharisees got together. One of them, an expert in the law, tested him with this question. Teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? Jesus replied, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. Our father wants us to love one another just like he loves us. Where we see one another as precious where we see opportunities to pour into one another's life, where we honor one another, where we're devoted to one another. Not just, I don't talk bad about living hope, but let me see if there's somebody there that I can speak into, somebody I can encourage. Our Father wants us to love one another like he loved us with that agape love, that love that's sacrificial. It's unconditional. You know, Sarah might say something that I don't like, but I have to be intentional to go and love her. I have to make a decision that I'm going to love her. And she might not even respond right. You know, sometimes we give people that one chance. You know what I mean? Like, I know you wrong me, but I'm going to be the Christian and I'm going to come to you. And I'm going to share you hurt me, but I forgive you. And we can still be friends. I love you. She might say, I don't know why you took it that way. I didn't mean nothing. That's you. That's your problem. That's your issue. Then I have to be intentional and probably first go on to prayer for her 
because I might not be able to go right to her in that moment. And then be intentional about, about going and showing her love, not just a fake hug. But when I find out that she needs gas to get home, oh, I'll take care of you. That's love. That's love. That's love. That's what God wants. That's what he wants. He doesn't want us coming here looking good and acting like we love one another. You know, he wants us to be devoted to one another. Coming to the late community gatherings. Some people have been here for years, still haven't gone to their late community gathering. That shouldn't be. That shouldn't be. We have to be devoted to one another. We can't always be spontaneous. You know what I mean? Say, oh, yeah, when the Lord puts it on my heart, I'm going to invite you over, brother. (laughs) He actually has godly instituted programs for us to get together. It's called the lay community. Because let's be keep it real. If we left it to spontaneity, some of us would never get together. Come on. Joseph still hasn't come over my house. I'm sorry. Did I say that out loud? One time. How long do I have I known you? It's starting with the leaders. It's starting with the leaders. I got to put the leaders on blast first. Nobody is safe. Mickey, you're next. Not just. <laughs> But honestly, I, I, I really hope you hear my heart this morning. God really put this on my heart so strongly. And, I, and honestly, I didn't even want to preach it. Because I didn't want anyone to feel condemned. I didn't want anyone to feel judged. But I believe he is pushing us. He is eagerly awaiting us to come together and really, truly love one another. He said, by this well, men know that you are my disciple. There has to be a distinction. Let me just say this. We can't just go around giving people money on the street and think we're showing love. Because you don't know that person. You'll never probably see him again. That's not true love. That's no fellowship there. But I know I'm going to see Kenneth next week. Matter of fact, I'm going to see him Thursday. I might actually even see him during the week because sometimes he comes to staff. And so when he shares what's going on in his life, I'm going to have opportunity after opportunity to continue to pour love back into him. That's what he wants. That's what he wants. Amen. Amen. Can we receive that this morning? You know, I just, I sense that our father wants to pour his love out on us. I recognize that this is not something that we can do in our own strength, but that we need our father to do what only he can do. And since he took the first step, and loved us unconditionally. I pray, God, that you would give us the grace to love one another. It's a grace. It's a grace, God. Many of us have tried to love one another in our own strength, and we've fallen short. And so this morning, God, we repent. I repent. Father, I pray that you would give us the supernatural grace to love one another. Lord, I pray the grace to forgive would just overflow us now. The grace to forgive. And so, Father, even for those that aren't physically in this room, but maybe someone hurt me that's not here. 
And so, God, I pray that you would give that person the grace to forgive now. To release them in their heart. And to begin to see them with your eyes. And for even one another, Lord God. It's inevitable that because we're so close, because we're a church family, that sometimes we're going to bump up against one another. Sometimes we're going to say the wrong thing. Sometimes we're going to be a little short with one another. But God, I pray that you would give us the supernatural grace to love one another, to forgive a multitude of sin, to give one another the benefit of the doubt, to not allow ourselves to think wrongly about each other, but to see them through eyes of the spirit. God, I pray that you would do it by your spirit. Just want to ask if this word has touched your heart and you believe the Father's grace is here to heal your heart, we want to open up this altar and just know that there's no condemnation. I don't care if you're a leader. We're all in the same boat. We've all been hurt. Sometimes it is difficult to love. But I believe the grace is here today. And so if that's you, you just want to open up this altar. The spirit of the Lord is here to bring healing to our hearts and to our minds. Father, we reverence your presence. Let your word sink deep into our hearts, Father. Break up the fallow ground. Break up all hardness. Give us a heart of flesh, rather, rather than a heart of stone. We pray that you would do it by your spirit. Just going to allow one more moment. If anyone wants to come, again, there's no condemnation. Only grace. We thank you, God. Amen. Well, I'll take it that you have received the word of the Lord. I pray that you would hide it deep in your heart. And if the Lord is prompting you to reconcile with someone, I pray that you would truly do it. Even if you're a leader, even if you're a minister, you would lay your gift at the altar. and You would go and reconcile with your brother. God, we thank you. We thank you for your love. Lord, we thank you that you are truly making us one by your spirit. We honor you. And what a privilege it is to love you and to love one another. We thank you, God, for your supernatural grace this day. We bless you in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. Bless you all.